0: And welcome to episode number forty-one of the Waters Wavelength Podcast. My name is Dan DiFrancesco. I'm the deputy editor of Cellside Technology. As always, I'm joined by my co-host, the U.S. editor of Waters Technology, Anthony Malakian. Hello. So today we have a very special guest, as you could see by the uh, by the title, uh, Suresh Kumar, BNY Mellon's chief information officer, their head of tech, uh, been profiled way back when on Waters Magazine. Uh, I spoke with him for a while, just about a couple different things, kind of sharing in financial services, why there needs to be more sharing overall, why it's good for the industry. We talked about regulations. We touched on a lot of different things. I think you guys will enjoy the conversation. Uh, But before we get to that, quickly, we just want to touch on we're kind of in right in the thick of uh, events season for us. We have uh, three events coming up. Anthony, do you want to... uh,
1: Sure. Um, So on November 1st, out in Hong Kong, uh, we have the Asia-Pacific Financial Information Conference. Uh, You can meet our reporter out there, Wei Shen. And I'm sure she'll be, uh, I think that she's going to be doing some of the chairing duties that I usually have to do over here. So I'm kind of upset because usually I'd be able to get flown out there for something like that. But now we have a Not reporter anymore. out there. No more, no more. Now I just get to be the U.S. editor. Yay. Womp, womp, <laughs> womp. Uh, let's see. We also have the European Trading Architecture Summit coming up on November 17th. That's going to be in uh, London. Um, that will focus more on the sell side, uh, similar to our North American Trading Architecture Summit over here. And then uh, rounding out, it's our big event of the year, December 5th um, at the Marriott Marquis in New York, uh, Waters USA. It's our biggest event. Get our biggest and best uh, speakers to discuss all the, all the biggest and best topics that we've been discussing on all these podcasts that we've had. So that'll be uh, December
0: 5th. Exactly. So uh, Anthony and I are going to hop in on the back end of the Ceres conversation and have a little bit of non-fintech talk. Uh, but for now, tune in and listen to my interview with Shresh Kumar, BNY Mellon's CIO. All right. And now I'm joined here with Shresh Kumar, the chief information officer at BNY Mellon. Shresh, thanks so much for taking the time to chat with me today.
2: Yeah, well, uh, thanks for having me here. Uh, it's, uh
0: Great to talk to you. Yeah, so we we spoke. I was over at a, a, in a BNY events a few months ago, and we spoke a little bit about um, user experience and kind of and and as part of that conversation, a topic you brought up was kind of. I don't know if it's maybe frustration is not the right word, but how there needs to be kind of more sharing and the benefits of of sharing and more openness amongst financial firms. Can you kind of elaborate a little bit on that point or I guess on that theory of yours of kind of the benefits of that firms being more open and, and sharing in financial services?
2: So when you you know think about uh, all the innovations, uh, and disruptions that's taking place today, and a lot of it, it seems to come from Silicon Valley. Um, what's uh, fueling uh, this you know innovations seems to be open source, commodity hardware, you know cloud technology, or big data analytics and all that. Uh, the reason why I feel that they're able to do it so much faster is because everyone doesn't build everything ground up. They're able to build on top of what somebody else has done. And and this enabled both the company that's, you know, contributing to open source as well as the one who consumes them, um, all to get the benefit and, and everybody uh, leverage each other. And, and that seems to be something... Uh, that's sorely missing in the financial industry. You know, there's very little in terms of uh, source code, open source being shared. Um, And I think there is a tremendous opportunity for us to figure out how do we start sharing a lot of the things that we do, which is not really core to us, but it can dramatically make a difference for the financial industry and for our clients. Um, taking a lot of friction away from the industry if you start sharing.
0: Mm -hmm. Sure. So what do you think is holding firms back when it comes to sharing? Is it the fear of, I don't want to give something out that maybe my competitors can somehow contrive this and kind of take, a, take advantage of me. You talk about how, you know, the carefulness of being willing to share, but also not sharing some of the things that are core to your infrastructure and your firm. What, from your perspective, you have you seen, has been holding some of these firms back from being so open and willing to share?
2: Right, meaning most large financial institutions, even, you know, when you think about the different businesses within each institution, uh, you know there is certain amount of uh, caution right in the way people share stuff and people uh, maybe because uh, we have had the time and the resources we tend to build everything ground up and at the end result is it takes too long um, and it costs too much both to build as well as to uh, maintain them um, And so when you extend that across, uh, the industry with lots of different firms, um, you just see the same thing again and again. Um, when I see the kind of work we do um, in each businesses, for example, and see what is unique about that business and what is common, you know, you'll be surprised to see a tremendous amount of common things that every business do. And so the question is, why are we not uh, creating these common services, I think, is for historical agility reasons. You know, people felt uh, each business ought to have their own budgets, and if they want to get something done faster, that they need to have dedicated resources. And for the most part, they were silos, and then that's you know what happened. And if you just extend that across uh, businesses uh, in financial industry, one, you know, we are regulated. Um, and that puts a caution on uh, a lot of people from sharing, uh, just in case you share something um, and, and you don't want any liability that comes out of that. And B, you know, for whatever reason, people do think what they have or what they do uh, is unique. Um, but as we can see from Silicon Valley, you know, that is not the case. You know, even somebody like Netflix. Uh, has no problem open sourcing a lot of what they do, and they have no problem hosting their services on Amazon uh, when Amazon actually competes with them.
0: Sure. So you mentioned how there's a lot of overlap and there are a lot of common areas. Can you kind of maybe touch on a couple that you think there's really no reason why there shouldn't be more sharing, why firms really should be more willing to kind of open up their software? And really, it's kind of a a rise in tide, raises all ships type of situation where everyone in the industry could benefit if everyone kind of opened up.
2: Yeah. So if you take a look at a technology stack, you know, you look at all the infrastructure infrastructure, um, clearly now that's becoming more and more commoditized, and and with the cloud, it basically you know, allows everyone to get the benefit of uh, you know faster provisioning, and better optimization of resources, as well as provides agility. So in that layer, uh, and I can already see people leveraging uh, services being provided by Silicon Valley you know, be it uh, uh, Cloud Foundry or Docker or Mesos or Kubernetes. There are so many different tools. Uh, more of the progressive financial institutions are adopting that. So that's not sharing between financial institutions, but that's financial institution sharing from the Silicon Valley. Um, the layer on top of that, which is, you know, historically, if we wanted to bring certain... Uh, optimization you know we created utilities you know so things like um, uh, DTCC or Swift or the clearinghouse you know those are examples of how uh, we have pooled our resources created an organization to solve a specific problem so each one doesn't have to do that some of the recent ones I have seen is like symphony is an example where Goldman Sachs had a particular capability and technology, while every financial institution had instant messaging, um, there was very little inter-financial institution communication, you know, because of you know concerns about authentication and spamming and all that. Uh, but with Goldman deciding to use, take the technology and offer it to other financial institutions and say, hey, can we uh, share this technology differently? And 15 other firms decided to invest with Goldman to create Symfony. And the whole idea is how can we now use this mechanism to take away a lot of the friction between the way firms communicate, right? Because email is not secure and it's asynchronous, it's not as reliable. Um, and if you were to actually have something like Symfony with all the protections you need from encryption, reliability, um, and connecting the employees of various institutions together, you know, you can take away a lot of friction. So that is a good sign. Uh, but the other thing, though, that we could do that we are not doing is, you know, there are lots of regulations. And for to meet the regulations, we all end up spending fairly large amount of resources And there is nothing competitive about that. You know, so I think to the extent that we can share uh, some data models or some data lakes or certain technologies, um, I think it will go a long way in taking the cost away from the industry.
0: I spoke to your colleague, John Weir, the the head of uh, BNY Mellon's application platform and services group about open source. And one of the points that he brought up and a couple of other folks I spoke to for this feature brought up is that there is concern a lot of times. And you touched on this with the legal team about what they can open, what they want their firm to open up and start sharing how big of a how big of a gap is that that firms still need to kind of traverse and get over? And is there a little bit of melting of the glacier, so to speak? Do you see see firms warming up? You know, you talked about it, how at the end of the day firms need to remain compliant and worry about regulations, releasing the wrong type of information or code. Do you see that? that uh, kind of shift in tide in terms of legal departments maybe being a little bit more willing to open up to to open source and that type of sharing?
2: Yeah, no, absolutely. You know, when we started, uh, we're just talking about uh, reusing or using somebody else's open source. Um, There was a lot of resistance, right? I think now companies have figured out uh, what the right licensing is, and how do you start using them. And and the end result is, you know, we use phenomenal amount of open source. And that has dramatically changed the way we build technology and, and the time it takes to, you know, build technology. So that part is good. Um, the part that I I don't see a lot of is if we are using open source and let's say we identify certain... Uh, feature missing, and if you want to add to that, you know we don't necessarily contribute back uh, like the way some of the other companies do. And I think that's an area for improvement, and we need to work through how do we make sure that we obviously have the ability to you know add and and make the open source better. You know how do we do that? And then the next you know bigger challenge is are there things that we do. That is not core to us, but that could help the industry, including the competition. And are we willing to open source that? You know, so to me, that's a strategic question. Um, you know, certainly we are getting there. And I wouldn't necessarily say that that we are there. I mean, I have seen some companies open source some. You know, we have looked at them, but in the grand scheme of things, for the amount of resources that we spend on technology on the number of people that we have in the industry in technology for uh, we we're not anywhere close to creating that ecosystem of sharing source code
0: yeah that's that's a that's a great point and that was brought up by a couple of the folks I spoke to, spoke to is that yeah, you guys, a lot of these firms are willing to tap into the open source community. But it, when it comes to kind of turning around, contributing back into it, there's still kind of that that firewall, for lack of a better word, that's stopping them from doing that. Is that something, maybe even if it's five years, that eventually, because like you said, there's this big community of very intelligent, very savvy technologists that just aren't able to contribute back to open source because of the, some of the internal policies. Do you see that eventually changing?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, when I talk to you know some of the Silicon Valley firms as to why they contribute back, you know, they kind of say, hey, you know, we wouldn't exist without the open source, and so we kind of feel an obligation to give it back. Uh, but they also say, you know, if you want to attract the best and the brightest uh, to work for you, one of the things that they look for is the ability to contribute source code back into, you know, the open source community. And, you know, the, 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 there are lots of things that people look for, right? So people like to have a sense of accomplishment um, and not just how much money you make. And you're going to see if people are really interested in attracting the kind of talent that Silicon Valley attracts, you know, this is something we will have to figure out how to let happen uh, because otherwise we're going to have a tough time attracting talent. So I certainly believe it will happen. The question is, you know, how fast? You know, I, I would venture to say in about five years, it'll be a lot more common, just like it's a lot more common now for people to use open source.
0: Yeah, that's definitely a big aspect is to draw in that talent. You know, talent acquisition is such a battle in financial services to being able to to offer the opportunity to contribute back into open sources is is huge. I wanna switch gears a little bit. We're coming into the, the end of the year, turning into the start of 2017, kind of the natural reset is to look at, okay, what are the regulations coming up? What do we need to consider? an overall view, just, you know, just a general overview of making sure you're compliant and tackling these regulations. How do you head into it? Is there anything specific you do at the start of the new year coming in where you reevaluate things or kind of just overall, just regulation in general, how are you tackling it when it seems like it's kind of a never ending stream, so to speak of regulations every day coming down the pipeline?
2: Well, you know, uh, Obviously, the regulations is meant to protect the industry, meant to protect the clients, Um, and you know there are different ways to look at it. I mean, the way I look at it is the regulations are here, and we need to comply with them, and we need to figure out how best to comply with them. Uh, From a technology point of view, you know, with the regulations, you know, our investments in technology to meet the regulations has gone up a lot and it continues to go up and and but the opportunity though for us is to figure out how do you comply with the regulations but at the same time you know you do it so that it can be reused so that it can you know potentially end up with the products new products and services or you know it could help you you know from a strategic point of view and so that's the approach you know we take so we have had you know many uh, you know regulations, and you know in every single time, you know one of the things we found was we needed to have uh, a different way of managing data. For example, so instead of you know people doing the traditional way, which is okay, you got a project, you got a deadline, you got to go do it this way. Uh, Both us and the business people worked together and said, hey, can we create some common services that not only can take care of the needs of the regulations, but it could also potentially give us dividends in future for the businesses. And so we have done some of the components. You know, for example, we created an enterprise data store. Uh, We created a a reference data hub and, and another data lake and a metadata layer, you know, all these things, we were able to take the funding that we had for the regulations, but instead we were able to create a platform that not only was able to satisfy the the various regulations, but now uh, our businesses can use them and we are looking to see how can our clients, you know, leverage them. So I kind of think of that as an opportunity for us to rethink the way we build technology and strategically invest in common services that we may not have.
0: Yeah, that that's a great way to look at it for sure. And if you can view a regulation as an opportunity to kind of move forward the business, it's definitely – you know worthwhile how often are you able to to do that though in terms of sometimes is there just a regulation or something you need to be compliant with where it's you know this is just kind of we just have to eat our porridge so to speak we just have to do what we have to do we have to remain compliant we have to do x set of rules and there's really no way around it to really benefit the business how often does does that come across your plate at,
2: at a high level though we always i think have figured out how to take the opportunity provided by the need for, you know, complying with the regulations, um, you know, the first constraint is time. You know, if, if you know, uh, I would say that probably uh, has constrained more than anything else. But I think we have always uh, received a lot more from the initiatives related to regulations than just the regulations. So the problem tends to be, Okay, so you have a regulation, and it has to be done by certain date, and we try to work with the regulators so that we can implement them strategically, you know, not like the way you mentioned, where you have to do some Band-Aids or tactical stuff that does not give any other benefit, and it's not sustainable, because then the cost of complying becomes very high. Uh, so, you know, when, when people talk about the regulations, we work with the regulators, you know, one of the things as a company we have done, invested in, is a lot of our employees are in various committees of various, you know, regulatory bodies, just so that they are part of the process. You know, when someone wants to do something, that you are able to give them feedback, and you are able to tell them what is practical, what is not practical, and you're also able to say, you know, how long will it take, and, and so so that you know, the ability to be part of the process, you know, helps us to make sure that whatever we end up doing is A, sustainable, uh, and, and B, we are able to get, you know, a lot more benefits for our clients.
0: Is that the biggest piece of advice you'd give to a firm, you know, let's say a CIO, maybe not as big of as big of a shop as as you guys maybe a little bit smaller maybe a smaller hedge fund when it comes to kind of reevaluating the regulations and being able to get the biggest opportunity is it to have your voice be heard whether it's by joining a committee whether it's through comment letters what's the biggest you know kind of piece of advice as we head into the new year that you could give maybe our listeners that are you know just from a 30,000 foot view that are looking to kind of tackle these regulations and be able to move their industry forward as they remain compliant and, and add these new implementations that they have to?
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, first, uh, don't wait until it's done. There is a lot of opportunities that the regulators give the industry to comment on uh, why are they doing it and what are they you know, trying to do and how do they think they're going to achieve what they're looking to achieve. And, you know, you can help them with, does it make sense, does it not make sense? You know, while we don't get to change the objectives, but certainly you can help define the way, uh, you know, everyone accomplishes the objectives. And, you know, so participate in the various industry events. Uh, There are lots of committees. Uh, We have hundreds of people participating in various, you know, bodies. Um, So that, to me, is an investment worthwhile. And two, everyone needs to digitize, right? So whatever technology stack that we have has to change. It's not a choice. You know, soon you're going to find out you won't be able to buy the equipment or the software that is in your data center not for sale, right? Um, So people need to get out of the curve, and, and these Uh, regulatory complying, I think, provides an opportunity for people to think ahead and say, okay, if I need to uh, change this, because the world is going towards this, a simplified uh, infrastructure model um, with APIs, uh, with a lot more fintechs potentially offering solutions, and how do you create a platform that enables you to do all that? And I think uh, the investment that the companies make on uh, regulatory uh, initiatives, I think, would be a great way for you to get some of that stuff done. But you have to think that's what you want, and, and the businesses need to think about not just saying, hey, I have to comply, but instead they have to say, okay, I have to do that. But then uh, our clients will have the same challenge. Is there a business opportunity? You know, uh, Could we offer this as a solution to our clients?
0: Well, Suresh, I really appreciate you taking the time to chat with me today. It was great to get your kind of opi- some of your opinions on, on open source and give some advice out for regulation. So thanks so much for taking the time to chat with me today.
2: Okay, well, thank you for having me. It was fun.
0: Yeah, absolutely. All right, so Anthony and I are back on the back end uh, talking a little non-fintech stuff. I guess to start, I pulled Anthony's arm hard enough that we can uh, chat a little bit about the upcoming, or the start of the NBA season. Don't get used
1: to this. You know, this is uh, once every, maybe now, maybe the All-Star break, and then
0: the finals. You know what it is? The Jets suck so much. There's nothing worthwhile. The Jets suck, and the Patriots are so good. There's nothing worthwhile talking about in the NBA. I think we went so. the
1: Jets in at the beginning of the season didn't you say like the Jets like they could either be like 7-1 or 1-7 to start the season it's like
0: uh, it's pretty much uh how it's turned out yeah yeah exactly but <laughs> let's not you know let's not stay on awful topics uh not that the NBA is much better for me as a Knicks fan we're recording this on a Wednesday last night the season opener Knicks played the Cavs uh lost pretty handily um but I guess the biggest shocker of the night was that the super team Golden State Warriors with the recently acquired Kevin Durant fell to uh, the old faithful San Antonio Spurs, even without Tim Duncan, lost by almost 30 points. Um, Anthony, I know you're an outsider, you know, not a big NBA fan, but coming in this morning, we exchanged some words and you talked about how you heard some funny things already. People are kind of. Questioning. Well, it's just it's it's the hot take
1: mentality which you have to have in sports. Why I, I can't stand sports reporting, sports talk shows has just become like cable news political talk shows. You're, the crazier you are, the better off you're gonna you know you're gonna you're gonna make noise. Um, actual, well thought out, reasoned analytics doesn't matter. Uh, but yeah, so the bastion of hot takes, first take um, on ESPN. Uh, put up a poll that, does Kevin Durant make Golden State worse? And it's like one game, the very first game of the season. Granted, it's at home, it's embarrassing, but that happens in basketball all the time. It hasn't happened to Golden State recently, but it happens all the time where, you know, remember when uh, the, the... the Heat, uh, when they first had the, the big three put together,
0: they started off like
1: 500. Yeah, for, they like, lost a good their first month, game. They know? lost the like, first game. Yeah.
0: LeBron notoriously said Rome wasn't built in the day. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess the biggest thing this is because the last time, when last season, the Warriors obviously had, you know, a record breaking season, but their first loss at home wasn't until April mm-hmm. <laughs> or April or March. So that was the kind of the big thing that stood out. I will say this, though it is crazy to start critiquing the Kevin Durant move. After one game. When he played a brilliant game, too. But, I will say this, there, I think there is something to be said for the fact that maybe bringing him in doesn't make them as good as people think it's going to. Just because it throws off the chemistry that you have and, you know, and, and, and how things... The regular seasons doesn't matter for them, right? It's it's
1: all going to come down to a championship. Because last year they set the record for most wins in the season. They had the best regular season. Sure. mattered for nothing. Sure. So... Naturally, unless they go and break the record again, which is asking a lot, the end of the season, everybody's gonna be like, Well, they didn't they weren't as good as they were last year, and maybe we looked at Kevin Durant when it's just a natural, it's a flukish thing, you know, right. that you're not Ebs setting up of
0: of of you know a, a program. So
1: no matter what, it was always gonna be an uphill battle. I guess to me the most interesting thing, you know, I think the Warriors are obviously gonna be fine. Um look at the Spurs. The interesting thing about that is that team has been built on like a core group being together for years and years and years. That's how they won all their championships. Mm-hmm. And this one, it's a little bit more interesting, I guess, because obviously Duncan's gone, Manu's coming off the bench. Um, but their main guys were, was it um, Kawhi uh, Leonard? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, uh, Gasol just joined the team. There's another guy that that's uh, on a starting five that just joined last year. So this isn't a group that's been together, but I mean, Popovich is just, incredible. I mean, the guy's, you know, he's going to, it'll be funny. There will be debates that can, I think, logically be made by the time his career is over who is better him or Jackson.
0: Yeah, no, Phil it's Jackson. he's, he's incredible. Uh, I guess I don't have that m- too much more to add other than, you know, only one game for the Knicks. I didn't get to catch all of it. I was out last night. Do the Knicks um, finish above 500 this year? The Knicks finish above mm, the Knicks so that would put them at 40, 41, 41. 40, 40, 42. Yeah, 42. Yeah. Um I think that's right where their over under is roughly. I The answer is no. To, gun to my head. I think yes because I think the East sucks so bad and they just do have too much talent on that team. I mean Chris Tops could really move into top fifteen player in the league if he makes a yeah. jump. If he makes a jump like he should, he's a seven footer that you know, seven footer that can shoot threes um, and plays decent defense. It's you know, and then you have the best, arguably the you know, the top three scores in the NBA, maybe one of the top five scores in the history of the you know, the, the league in Carmelo Anthony, and then you have Derrick Rose, which is you know, who knows what you're gonna get with Derrick Rose. Um, I'll just say that. I think whatever happens, it's going to end up being a first round. They're going to be where you don't want to be as an NBA team, which is not in the lottery and not in the finals or the conference yeah. finals. You Just know, right nippling. in that middle ground where you get nothing. But uh, we'll, we'll you know, on that sad topic, we'll switch to, <laughs> I guess, another sad but an interesting topic. Anthony, you read a interesting article in Outside Magazine about cats in yes. Hawaii.
1: Well, first of all, outside magazine I highly recommend people subscribe to it um, they, they put some of their articles up for free online um, but basically every month um, they have this collection of there's always guaranteed one horrible disaster story like you know people drowning while hiking you know plane crashes in this latest issue uh, they had uh, what happened to Eastern Airlines flight 980 where they kind of uncovered a little bit as to uh, the mysterious crashing of that
0: and where it was in La Paz, and um, so... Well, quick, quick note on that. Yeah, I think people hear outside magazines and think, I don't hike, I don't want to read, but yeah. it's, it's so much more I don't than hike. that. I, I don't do, I don't
1: <laughs> care about any of that. It's just, it's great no journals. You're not it's, a
0: big you're not a big outdoor activity guy?
1: I like to drink outdoors, that's <laughs> always nice. I read, a great, I read
0: a great story about a plane that was carrying drugs, a drug plane that crashed into... A lake in like Colorado and then it became yeah, yeah, yeah. a pilgrimage for people to go out there and get their duffel bag worth of weed and then you know go smoke <laughs> it in the street it was very very interesting but sorry so to your story
1: so in outside magazine I don't think it's available online so you'd, you'd have to go find it on a newsstand but the title forgive me for the title I did not write the title um, if you have sensitive ears cover ears for just a second but the title is called pussies galore um, and,
0: I knew you couldn't make it without a uh, Yeah, you know I was.
1: Um, I'm just, I'm really, I really am a child. <laughs> um, it's about feral cats in Hawaii. And the reason why I like this story, it's so well written. I, I wish I had it in front of me so I could say the author. This, this kind of came up at the last second. I have the magazine at home. But the reason why I found this interesting is I love a good story that puts somebody. You know, it, it really makes them think about, all right, where do I stand on this issue? Uncomfortable, and uncomfortable questions. Un- ask uncomfortable questions about yourself. So, in Hawaii, they have hundreds of thousands of feral cats out there. It's a real problem that they have. And uh, mainly because people buy cats, you know, and then the kids don't like it or whatever. And they're like, ah, screw it. And then they go throw the cat into a parking in a Walmart parking lot. You know, not my problem anymore. And then they start breeding with each other. Population booms. So out there, uh, the, the big reason why it's such a, a major problem for them is that they're killing off endangered species or hundreds, uh, thousands of endangered species that, you know, are native to Hawaii. And uh, for a variety of reasons, these cats are killing them off, either hunting, you know, cats love their thousands of different kind of birds that are endangered out there, and they're going and slaughtering these birds. Um, Also, uh, there's a parasite that's uh, only developed in cats' stomachs, and when they poop it out, uh, it's uh, toxoplasmosis. Tough word word to get. Big word. Um, And it it seeps into water, and it's killing off – what they're finding is it's killing off monk seals, which there's only like a 1,000 or some of those left, um, and are native to Hawaii – so it's a real problem amongst the – you have this one group that loves cats. And they're like, "I, you can't – so the, the the options are this. One, go and just hunt down these cats, trap them, bring them to a shelter. If they get adopted, great. But if they don't get adopted, they get euthanized. Puts a, puts a real meaning to dog the bounty hunter down yeah, there. In exactly. <laughs> and then um, – so that's one option. The other option is what's called a TNR, Trap, Neuter, Return. Uh, people that love cats want this And they believe that this can work It's shown that it really doesn't work There are all, all sorts of scientific studies That really show that this does not work As an effective me- method of decreasing hurts Because humans are assholes And they're going to keep on going and getting a cat And then be like, ah screw it, I don't want the cat anymore And releasing it And those things are going to go mate, boom A litter of five comes out And you know it, it's, it's impossible You've got to go find these colonies of cats And you've got to kill them off are you okay with that you know you love your cat you think about cats god you know it's, it's terrible well,
0: question a question for you so the you say scientifically it's proven that there are studies that show that people that it, the neutering the catch neuter release isn't going to work because increasing huge colonies of feral cats because people are just going to keep releasing their cats but isn't that the same issue if we kill them all people are still going to there's always going to be that that quality well, flow there's actual studies that show that
1: yes, euthanization does work very effectively because you can keep up more aggressively
0: um, once you find the colonies of cats. So I guess the you point can easily trap them. So the point is, you're never going to be able to stop the source of this yeah, problem. People always be asking, but you can at least massively cut down on the population, yes. so that then you can you can yes. get to a point where it's where you, yeah, where it's maintainable. Could, you, Could it potentially be okay? You know, maybe there's a, for lack of a better word, there's a cat genocide in Hawaii, mm. right? And then it goes to catch, neuter, release, or no. There's do a you funny main- term I'm just thinking, but I won't
1: say. It. Sorry, go
0: on. And but then it switches to a. Uh, <laughs> I, you figured it out, I right? I see where your head's okay. at. <laughs> I think I see your headset and there probably are some movies or some things that already have that name. <laughs> oh, we sound like a bunch of idiots right yeah. now. Um but then would they switch to the catch new release once they've kind of they've caught up to the issue so to speak or does it not even make sense it's just we're just going You would hope that
1: two things would happen. Yes, then it would be, you know, then back to TNR. Um but and it, it you they need to have a better educational program for people that if you're going to get a cat, you know, for some reason, you know, it's like dogs. You know, if you get a dog, you kind of just see your way through it, even if you hate the dog you right? Know, kind of a thing. Cats are all too easy to just say, no, you're out of here. Right. Um, but, you know, I, I just found it very interesting because, like, the people that are uh, on the Saving the Cats are militant about this. Uh, the, it's described in a lot of ways as being uh, climate change deniers. Like, they're just like, no, it's like. There's science that's showing that this is not working. There's science right. showing that these cats are killing right. these endangered species. And the reason why, like, uh, from what I read, Jacksonville has a big problem. Jacksonville, Florida has a big problem with uh, this as
0: well. But they don't have I mean, the endangered species. I think Jacksonville has a lot more issues than just, Gen- just the cats. cats. Yes, mean, yes, the city in yes, general, yes. general needs a real <laughs> over- And they have a terrible football team as well. Yeah, um, No, but it's, it's interesting- you know i think that it gets back to the point of it's so easy for someone to stomp their feet and say this isn't how it should be this is what we should do and then you kind of lay out the facts of why this needs to be done sometimes you gotta make tough decisions you know sometimes you gotta make the tough decisions and nobody wants to be the one to you know pull the triggers necessarily but sometimes you got to do what you got to do i i've had cats i've had two cats my entire life but i'm not necessarily a cat person but i've had cats my entire life i've grown up with them right i like them just you know probably more than most people because i've you know always had them in my house do i want to kill a bunch of cats no but if it's destroying you know a bunch the of ecosystem. others it's the ecosystem a bunch of other species then sometimes you have to like you said you have to make the hard decisions and that's what people don't want to hear and i mean i yeah there's just no other way around
1: it and <laughs> But it's it's the only thing I found interesting about it is PETA. You would think PETA would be very much against euthanization. Mm-hmm. PETAs actually says, no, there are we hate it. You know, it's not something we want, but there are instances where in order to protect a, an ecosystem, euthanization is actually necessary. And as long as it's done in a humane way, you know, there's sometimes it, it needs to be done that way. And so when is coming up against you and I also think you're on the like, wrong side of the you know,
0: mate. I'm sure these catch new release programs, they're not exactly Cheap to run. You know, you have to perform all... The, I mean, it's not a super expensive surgery, I'm sure, but you still have to perform this surgery on a bunch of different animals, which takes up okay. vets, which vets who, you know, charge you an arm and a leg usually for most things. So, guess and guess who's going to pay for all that? It's all well, going to come back. And oh, I
1: mean, they're, they're in a tough spot, too, where they're like, you know, they're the ones that are going to have to kill all these cats and stuff like that. They actually talk to a veterinarian. who's like, you know, we hate it. It's heartbreaking to we'll have to watch this right. because of these asshole humans that are going and just dumping off their cats. and That's you know, the real thing bar. to
0: be taken away from this is that people in Hawaii are apparently scumbags yeah, with their but pets. a bunch of, you know, I mean, come on, man. Be better. You know? Be better at life. I tell you, man, you, you you tune in for a podcast about financial technology and you leave with knowledge about the feral cat situation in and Hawaii. And i would be
1: interested to know how many of our listeners are still with the cats because when I was at a bar, I was talking, you know, we just having a conversation with some friends and stuff like that and there were two people that were just not in our group that kind of joined in and they were dead set against any sort of euthanization. of the, They were They were with... The cat, you know, TNR stuff. I was like... All right, man. Yeah, it's good. I, I like when people have to be put into an c- uncomfortable kind of position. To I'll tell you
0: it, what. Yeah. If you, if after the hearing, this all two listeners that we have probably left yeah. <laughs> that are listening. If after hearing this, you still stand by uh, not euthanizing the uh, the cats and euthanizing, and euthanizing the cats Idiot. and and uh, if you still stand by your belief, then you send Anthony and I our email. Our contacts are right on the page, and you let us you rip into us. Let us hear, and we'll be happy to have a uh, a discussion with you about it. Um, but other than that, I think that's all we got. Anthony, you have anything else to add?
1: Go get Outside Magazine. Very good. And subscribe to Waters, obviously.
0: Obviously. Before, yeah, save your money so first. So much better. Than, save your money first. Subscribe to Waters. Then, if you have some extra change lying around, Outside Magazine, maybe Texas. There's monthly. is
1: significantly cheaper
0: than maybe. our magazines. So. Yeah, but is it as good, though? Is it as good? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, well, that's it from us. Thanks so much for tuning in, and uh, we'll be back in next Thursday.